Hello and welcome to episode 245 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Los Angeles. I'm Nathan Fox. With me in Vienna, Virginia is Ben Olson. What's the latest, Ben? I had a dream last night and you were in it. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Cool. What 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 I do? Well, so it there there were decent parts of it that were kind of funny, but I'll save the listeners the time so they don't get too bored here. But um, the bottom line was that we had snuck into the Department of Justice. Uh, I I am ninety nine percent sure. Well, no, one hundred percent sure this came from my time working there when I right. was a law student. And um, in any case, we snuck in and we found some empty desks and pretended okay. to start working there. We didn't know the password, <laughs> so I called the like, help desk and I really just like pretended like everything was normal and you know okay. the calm demeanor. They gave me the password and it was like really helpful. And so then we started working. But then this person who this law student I had worked with, her name was Susie. She uh, was there and she was like. Hey, I don't recognize you. Like, you don't work here. And I was like, Yeah, I do. And I pulled out this briefcase and it had these like old case files in it. I'm like, This is what I'm working on. And she started looking at it. And then she called the client and she's like, Hi, I just wanted to follow up on your case. And they're like, Yeah. And I guess they, in my dream, this made sense, but they recognized the number as the DOJ. So when they picked up, they're like, Hey, Sarah, like, how can we help you? And that was like the aha moment, you know? Like they didn't say, hey, Ben, how can we help you? They said, hey, Sarah. And she's like, was on to us. So I was like, oh, yeah, that's just the other attorney. Anyway, so I walked over to the desk that you were working at, and I was like, we got to roll. They're, they're, they're on to us. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, all right, let me see. I'm going to do a little Freudian psychoanalysis on you yeah um maybe this is because you think the two of us are just basically phonies and frauds and um eventually we're gonna get found out for that yeah maybe so it's weird though i felt oddly confident um like we could quite a ruse to just go into the department of justice. I imagine you could probably get uh, arrested for that and probably prosecuted. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe so. Um, yeah. In fact, when I worked there a long time ago, we had to go through security. So I don't know how I did that. Right. And, um, Hmm. I don't know what to say. <laughs> today on the show, <laughs> today on the show, we're going to uh, talk about the fact that there is apparently no LSAT flex happening overseas. Okay, that seems quite odd that they would make that choice. It does seem odd. We have a pearls versus turds. And there's a bit of advice saying not to guess randomly in the last five minutes of each section. I can tell you in advance that that's going to be a turd. Uh, we have a question that says, when do I move to the questions in the games? Okay. And we have an email saying, thank you for convincing me not to go to law school. And then we have a email from our favorite law school dean. Uh, dean David Fegman of UC Hastings is now suing the city of San Francisco for to clean up the area around UC Hastings. And last item, just hot onto the agenda at the last minute. We have a personal statement from 
Z. Yeah, A dot is typing that into the. Yes, thank you, A dot. We can see you working <laughs> while we're recording the podcast. Awesome. Okay. Um, this is going to air on Monday, May 11th. Upcoming big dates uh, Wednesday, the 13th of June, is the first uh, of the LSAT flex scheduling process that starts at 12 Eastern. Allegedly, if they don't have any more snafus like they did last time. If you're registered for the June LSAT Flex, you should be already getting emails from the LSAC. They're going to give you the instructions on how you sign up for one of those slots for your virtually proctored LSAT. Monday, the 18th of May, is the first ever LSAT Flex. They're actually scheduling those tests. Why does it have to be so far in advance? I, yeah, Anyway, <laughs> Friday... <laughs> They like make it as complicated as they can. Friday, June 5th is the tentative release for the May LSAT Flex scores. Uh, Sunday, June 14th is the week of the June LSAT Flex. That's the testing week. And those scores are going to be out on June 30th. Um, anyway, you can email the show help at thinkinglsat.com. Um, any question, anytime, send us a draft of your horrible personal statement. If you want us to rip it to shreds on the show, um, oh, wait, can I, can I edit review. that? Yes. Send us your uh-huh. best personal statement ever, well, yeah. please. And <laughs> yeah. hopefully that will have some merit. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Send, do your best, but then also, uh, steal yourself for the um feedback because we're not going to pull any punches on it but yeah do your best you'll get the most out of it if you do your best um i think that's about it what you ready to dive into these emails i'm ready all right you take the first one okay no lsat flex overseas i just wanted to know your opinion on this i live overseas and was scheduled to take the lsat in march however it was canceled i was refunded and not given the option to take the lsat flex I signed up for the LSAT in June, which will more than likely be canceled. I'm doubtful doubtful that LSAC will extend the LSAT flex to overseas test takers. I've emailed LSAC multiple times regarding this issue, and they have not replied. Whoa, that is surprising. You sure you 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 got the right email address? (laughs) Despite LSAC's history of not being the most friendly test taking organization or making organization or administering organization recently they after hiring the director of consumer delight they have been a lot (laughs) more helpful that is the right title right that is like the legit it was yeah it was for at least for a while um dear god yeah anyways so this correspondent says i am frustrated as per usual, it seems that anything LSAC does is grossly unorganized. That is true. Should I sign up for the U.S.-based LSAT and then take the LSAT flex? Ooh. Wait, is there still time to sign up for the June LSAT? Mm, can't be. No. No, the deadline for that was last week or the week before. Okay. Well, I guess you're talking about signing up for the July LSAT which may or may not be an LSAT flex. That said, LSAC is open to that possibility, and I imagine that the patchwork of reopenings that will take place will make it difficult to administer an in-person test. So, yeah, that's an option. I don't know what to say. 
It's really interesting. I would give them a call. Have you tried calling them? Yeah. I don't understand why their email is not working. Well, here's a little life hack for y'all. Um, maybe millennials. <laughs> um, email is good. I use email and I tend to respond quickly to email and so does Ben. But if you want a company to do something, you just get on the phone. You got to call them. Yeah. You got to call them. There's don't email them multiple times. You're just wasting time. Just, just pick up the phone and call them. This isn't a friend from college that you have to text first to make sure it's okay to call them. You, you can go ahead and call LSAC. They're a business. They have a 24 hour phone number. I mean, they're not going to answer it in the middle of the night, but they, you know, you could call them, you could leave a message, you could call again the next day. You could get a satisfaction from them in 12 hours. If you just make a couple phone calls. Um, yeah, that's really the way to get through to the LSAC. Uh, they are lawyers as well, you know, so like putting it in writing is sort of like adds risk for them. Uh, weirdly, if you talk to them on the phone, you might get like a different person who might give you a different satisfaction, like different resolution. But in email, I have a feeling that they're going to be like, well, let me send this by the legal department first. <laughs> yeah, they're going to be way more cagey. That's true. Totally. So just call them. I mean, why are they not doing the LSAT flex for overseas test takers, uh, cheating something, maybe something, something cheating. Not that people out of the United States are any more or less capable of cheating. I don't understand why. Yeah. It seems like you're going online. It's a great opportunity to now make it available to anyone anywhere. Hmm. It'd be like when Maybe we started Demon zones. Live, you know, we canceled all yeah. our live classes and started doing instruction via the Demon instead. Uh, we would be like, oh, mm, you're in Canada, though? Oh, no. Huh. No, no, no. No, no. <laughs> no, no. This is an American product. Sorry. But if you'd like to sign up for the class and pretend you're from California, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, uh, I don't know what to tell you. I don't, I don't. It's hard to understand why they, I don't know if anybody has any uh, speculation, hypotheses about why the LSAT flex is not being offered to overseas candidates. Uh, we would love to hear that speculation. Just email help at thinkinglsat.com. Yeah. All right. Ready for this pearls versus turds? Ready. This is the segment of the show where we take a bit of uh, received wisdom about the LSAT from the internet. And we uh, try to tell you whether it's good or bad advice. Normally, it's bad advice. Um, so far, we've been doing this for a while now, Ben. We have uh, eight pearls, 33 turds, and 15 ties. Mm. So the odds are not good for any incoming uh, pearl versus turd candidate. Again, yeah. you can send us your best tips, though. Help at thinkinglsat.com, and we will discuss on the show. The tip here is uh, do not guess randomly, exclamation point. Because the LSAT does not assess a scoring penalty for incorrect answer choices, you should always guess on every question that you cannot complete during the allotted time. However, because some answer choices are historically more, oh God, historically more likely to occur than others, you should not guess randomly. If you look at all LSAT answer choices between June 1991 and November 2019 inclusive, then you would typically be best served on the test as a whole by always guessing answer choice D. Do not choose random answer choices. 
do not put in a pattern such as A, B, C, D, E. Although guessing answer choice D does not guarantee that you will get the questions correct, statistically speaking, guessing answer choice D gives you a slightly better chance of answering correctly than guessing randomly. Oh my God, Ben. You want to say one, one of the reasons why this is stupid? Well, there are m- many reasons, but I'm actually going to go with a tie on this, not because I agree with it, but because the advice is to choose D. And since I don't care what answer choice someone chooses, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, okay, cool. Like, if you have a reason for doing that, <laughs> fine. I think your reason is not great, but it doesn't really matter because... Hey, pick a letter and choose that one for the remaining answers. That said, I can't give it a pearl because even though I do advise people to pick an answer and then just select that one for the remaining answer choices, I don't want people now thinking that because D is slightly more common in some cases uh, in the past, that if they're down to two answer choices, somehow they side with D because of this, that would be horrible. It's like you're oh yeah, totally. deferring to some like unhelpful reason yeah. when in reality you should be digging in and figuring yep. out it. I'm going to advocate logic. turd uh, okay. for that reason. Yep. Um, I'm also going to advocate turd because it crowds your brain with stupid shit that you shouldn't be thinking about. Sure. You should be thinking yeah. about solving the questions in front of you. And when you run out of time, you randomly guess, I don't care what letter. And it's, it's actually, I mean, do not put in a pattern such as A, B, C, D, E, et cetera. Mm-hmm. It makes no difference what you do. Just yeah. bubble in any yeah. of the five bubbles. It makes no difference. Just bubble in a bubble. I always recommend one letter, but if yeah. you want to make a Christmas tree, make a Christmas tree. It doesn't, whatever. It doesn't make any difference. So e, this is, E might be your best bet because it's closest to the next button. Right? Like on the <laughs> yeah, digital right. test. Maybe it takes you a fraction of a second. It's just, all of this is, you know, deck chairs on the Titanic, right? It's just not, yep. it doesn't fucking matter. And so people talking about these little tips and tricks and gimmicky bullshit, it just crowds your brain with stuff that is not what you should be thinking about. So I would love for this to go into the turd pile. I'm fine with that. I'm Good. fine with that. Even though I gave it a tie um, because I am worried about the negative side effects of giving like weight to an answer choice. I think a tie plus a turd vote equals a good turd. You're not yeah. getting out of the turd pile that easily. You know, furthermore, this is based on historical data that doesn't need to stay the same. They could obviously change this if they wanted to. Not only that, but PowerScore did like their stupid analysis of, well, would it, but if we look at just the last 10 questions on each section, which those are the ones that most people would be guessing on anyway, yeah. when we look at just the last 10, it changes. then it changes. Yeah. And oh, all, by the way, if we look at reading comp, it's a different letter. Yeah. And if we look at games, it's a different letter. And it's like, are you fucking kidding me? There's an entire page in your lessons about this. Why are you wasting people's time? The thing is, if if you if you dissect any sort of large set of data and you don't see a striking difference between 
answer choices, then how do you not know you're just seeing randomness? It's right? pseudo. It's pseudoscience, and it's yeah, and it's a just it's a bullshit, gimmicky waste of time. It's not. It's not helpful. People need to focus on understanding the questions, not any of this shit. Here are the extremes, by the way. 21.3% is the highest. So 1.3% more than than random guessing? Yep. And the lowest is 18.5. Wait a second. That's the swing. So if you randomly guessed on every question on the entire test, you would be expected to improve by one question? Based on this advice, yeah, one point three questions. That's if you guessed on the entire test. Yeah, so not the entire section, the entire test. (laughs) Right. So this is clearly a turd. It makes no fucking difference. This is a waste of time. Yeah. My point here is the bands are so narrow that they all hover around twenty (laughs) percent, and it's historical data anyway. What? It's just such a stupid waste of time. All right, next one. Thank you. Thank you for sending in that clear turd. Thank you. Okay, email subject. When do I move to the questions in games? It's a good question, actually. Yes. Hey, guys. Big respect for all you guys do! Exclamation point. Thanks, Leslie. I have an issue with timing in games. I spend way too much time on the game and not enough time on the questions. Hmm. I'm not sure about that. I reread the rules and go over every scenario and then I fill out the worlds to completion. Maybe I force worlds. I don't know. IDK, by the way. At that point, I know I should jump to the traditional first process of elimination question. Okay. But I don't. What? (laughs) I get anal, especially on games I think are hard. I reread the rules and comb through my work and then after wasting time, it seems like I go to the questions. Hey, Leslie, it sounds like you are self-aware of your own issues. So, anyways. But whenever I try to avoid nitpicking my work or not read the rules at least three times, I'm not confident and I seem to get the questions wrong. Hmm. I'm only attempting three games right now, so I don't think doing less games would help. Fewer. I ultimately... Fewer, by the way, yeah, fewer. When it's countable, it's fewer. When it's not countable, such as water, it's less. Anyways, I ultimately need to go faster, but I'm not sure what to do. With my slow method, I get the first two games 100% correct, and then I get nearly all of the third game correct. Sorry for my rant. I'd appreciate any advice. Hey, I'm worried. I, I'm I'm confused as to why you get nearly all of the third game correct with all this work. Um, I think you need to to watch the videos and follow along step by step, and just make sure you're making all the steps and that we're making as we go through these setups. And sometimes the setups are different, but like you're adding steps. It sounds like you don't need, and my guess, if you're getting questions wrong or you're not confident, you're not making steps or taking steps that you should be taking. And I don't know what those are, but you can find them out by just watching a video and pausing whenever you see something that we do that you didn't do and go, wait a sec, why did they do that? Should I have done that? Or if you do something that we didn't do, 
I'm not saying that's bad, but maybe ask yourself, was that necessary? Why am I wasting my time doing that if it's not helpful? Yeah, my my hypothesis here is a little different. I, I it, it seems I bet I bet Leslie is just right on the edge of a breakthrough here. I, I think half of what I say to people is stop talking about speed. I don't want to hear you say mm-hmm. you need to go faster. Mm-hmm. You need to get these questions right. If you get them right, if you learn how to get them right, then eventually you will go faster. But not if you keep thinking about speed. You know, she she just keeps saying, I, I ultimately need to go faster. Yeah, yeah, you ultimately need to go faster. But you don't need to go faster right now. Right now you need to get these questions right. Yeah. So if you're making worlds, you're probably doing the right thing. Eventually, you'll you'll get good enough at it where when you make worlds, the game will simplify in a way that you just knock out all the questions, no problem. And it doesn't matter how long you took on the worlds because the questions become so easy as a result of making those worlds. Or even if you didn't make worlds, you'll make a couple of inferences about the game. You'll realize that there are some restrictions in the game, the rules combined in such a way that it simplifies things because there's just not that many total possibilities you know there's some limitations and those limitations are your friend yeah. that's how you answer the questions and if you can unlock those inferences before you attempt the questions then the questions will without even trying the questions will get faster and faster the, you know the other thing is improvement on the games tends to happen in i like to use a earthquake metaphor where you know the two plates are like against each other and they're just they're pushing and they're pushing and they're pushing and there's no progress. There's no movement Mm. and it builds up and then like bang overnight. It just like all of a sudden moves. Yeah. That's how improvement tends to happen on the logic games. So Leslie, what you could be experiencing is just you're about to have that next breakthrough where you go from, three and a half or two and a half games and sometimes making mistakes. And all of a sudden it's going to be three perfect games or three and a half games. Yeah. Like you, you tend to improve by five or six points at once on the games, but that means that you go through periods of improving, not at all. Oh, I agree with that. I, uh, this morning I was stretching and I was able to stretch a lot further than I was before. Cause for like, 10 years I've been working out without stretching. So I'm <laughs> nice. like a, a tight, you know, uh-huh. like, I don't know, piece of metal that I can't <laughs> bend over. They're like, I watch these videos. They're like, oh yeah, you may not be able to do this, but just, just to modify and do, you know, this stretch, it's a little bit easier. I'm like, dude, I'm not even close to that. So <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. But today I was like, holy smokes. Like I've been doing it for like a month maybe. And I didn't seem like I was making that much progress. And then all of a sudden today, like you're saying this, like all of a sudden it's like, wow, I can stretch a lot further than I could before. And I forget these things, even though we say it over and over again, like you just have to keep working at it. That said, I guess I'm a little worried about his last second to last sentence or third to last sentence. And then I get nearly all of the third game correct. Is that because you're getting them all right, but just not finishing? Uh, That's how I read it. Yes. Um, or is it that you're getting some wrong? Because I, I don't know. There's this part of me that seems like Leslie's a little helter skelter here and not super like logical about her process. Stick with the careful games. approach, Leslie. Do not worry about speed. 
make sure you understand the rules. Make sure you look for connections between the rules. If you can make worlds, make the worlds. Watch the videos. Compare the way we're doing it to the way you're doing it. You'll pick up some little tips. You know, you'll you'll realize that there's an art to it. Eventually, you will go faster without even trying to go faster. As you've noticed, when you try to go faster, you make mistakes. And getting mis- getting questions wrong on the logic games is just a cardinal sin. I mean, that's the right answers are 100% right and the wrong answers are 100% wrong. And so if you miss a question, you just didn't do your work. Like you didn't solve the question. You know, you can't miss questions that you attempted on the games. You're not going to be successful if you're missing really anything that you attempt on the games. Yeah. So you got to redevote yourself to accuracy. You got to you got to re- you got to commit to the idea that you're going to you're just not going to answer a question until you know that that's the answer. When you do that, if you can train yourself to do that, you will start to realize that it is much easier than you think it is. Let me say one last thing. She says here, but whenever I try to avoid nitpicking my work or not read the rules at least three times, I think when we say, hey, take the cautious approach, you might double down on reading the rules multiple times. And that's probably okay. But I guess what I'm worried about is... It sounds to me like you're possibly reading the rules so many times because you're reading them fast. Yeah. So ironically, you see that as a slow process. You're like, oh, I'm spending so much time up front on the games. I've read the rules three times. It's like, but do you need to read them three times because you read them quickly the first time and the second time and third and the third time as opposed to just like reading a rule and being like, okay. Oh yeah. Okay. I get what that's saying or pausing and thinking about it, how it might affect other rules. Um, so by cautious, I think we also mean cautious in how quickly you go through that setup, not just <laughs> read it how long slower it takes you once. Yeah. Read it more carefully once. If you have to reread something, you know, then yeah, you have to reread it. But if you're reading all the rules three times, you're doing something wrong. There's no reason for that. They're not that complicated. You know, and and I think you really need to slow down and make inferences as you go as well. Because if they say X before Y, and then in the very next rule, they say Y before Z, well, (laughs) you can combine that into one rule, X before Y before Z. And the logic games really are that simple. That's all that's happening is you're looking for people that were mentioned more than once, looking for connections between the rules, and then you'll realize that they interact in ways that restrict the game, making it easier to solve. You know where I think this might be coming from? Have you seen those uh, people who teach the games in this sort of way where they like number the rules? They're like, rule one, rule two, rule three. I think that sort of like encourages people, and I'm not saying Leslie's doing this, but I wonder if she's kind of just picked up this habit of like reading the rules and writing them down yeah. as opposed to thinking about what that rule actually means. Yes, exactly. That's LSAT dogma. It's just, it's, I don't even teach that shit anymore. Like I used to do that. Like I used to, I wouldn't, I wouldn't number them, but I would like, okay, mm-hmm. I'm going to be really anal about like, here's how I notate the first rule. And here's how I notate the second rule. Yeah. But lots of times if you had, if you had read each rule and then noticed connections between the rules, 
it's actually going to simplify in a way that you don't, you don't need to do that anymore. You know, I'm thinking about Grant, the man who must be on stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? If you had wasted all your fucking time to be like, well, if any of the women are on stage, let me see. Here's that list of women. And let me start I've writing drawn out. i before, too. Yeah, and you're drawing it all if out. K, like, if this, if then L, G. If, if this, then G. If this, then G. And then it's like, yeah, dummy. But look, there's this other rule <laughs> that says that at least one of the women always is on stage. So we don't need to write a conditional rule about Grant being on stage. Grant just is on stage. And so like if you had done a, it's like in that example, if you had written out a numbered list of the rules, it, it, it like actively might impede your ability to make the key inference in the game, which is just, yeah, Grant always has to be on stage. Yeah. So I give everybody, you know, you're the boss of the test. You do not have to do it the way the, you know, in order and you don't have to do it the way you've seen, you know, anybody do it on a video, including me. You can do it however you want to do it. You can solve it however you want to solve it. And lots of times there's a solution that just does not involve a bunch of hieroglyphics, you know, anally writing out all of the rules perfectly. <laughs> That's, I don't, I never do that anymore. I mean, I just try to go for a solution. I normally just am building worlds and baking the rules in. Um, anything else for Leslie? Nope. That's Leslie Nope, by the way. Do you know who that is, Ben? No. Leslie Nope. No. Who's that? The audience is going to be pulling their hair out right now. Leslie Barbara Nope is a fictional character and the main protagonist of the NBC sitcom Parks and Recreation. She is portrayed by former <laughs> SNL cast member Amy Poehler. For most that's of the Leslie show, Nope. That's Leslie I started nope. that show because people were like, it's so funny, and I couldn't get through the first episode. <laughs> that's how I feel about any show that depicts lawyers. I'm like, people are always like, oh, you should check out Suits. It's so great. And then I watch one episode or like five minutes of it, and I'm like, this is just trash. No, I told you, you that we started watching Waco, though, right? Uh, maybe you mentioned Waco. Yes, you oh, did. Oh, so good. Yeah. So good. Oh. Yeah, I, it's over. It was a one-season show, but a lot of those are, are good. I like shows that, that have awesome. good lawyer stuff in it. I love Better Call Saul. Have you seen Better Call Saul, Ben? I tried. Yeah? All right. All right. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> it was like fun. black and white for that first episode. You know, I was like, what's going on? Is my TV broken? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Ben. I don't know. Did you never watch Breaking Bad? <laughs> No, that same thing. I started it, and they're like, he was, you know, it's on the side of the road. For you, you're you're too vanilla. <laughs> I was like, ben. what the hell is going on here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, we'll have to get you. I'm trying to. What's the best TV show? Like, you know, what's what's? Did you what's ever the show watch? I really got into. Well, let me run some by it. Did you ever watch The Wire? Okay. Did you ever watch The Sopranos? No. no. Have you watched Ozark? Ozark, yeah, I love that. I, okay, I'm okay, all, caught up. all right. Now mm-hmm. we're okay. And you watched all three seasons of Ozark? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, then, I think season three I watched in like two days. Okay, so we can work with you then. I think you will love Breaking Bad. I think you will love uh, Better Call Saul, and I also think you would love The Wire. If you, uh, they're amazing, The Wire. I think I'm gonna like have to start with The Wire because I tried time. the other two. 
the wire, it, you'll, uh, the one thing that's going to bump you on the wire is that it wasn't made for HDTVs. So you'll have to watch it like letterboxed because it's old, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's really an old I show. I don't even know what that means. Lettered box. Well, what it's, does that mean? they made it for the aspect ratio of the old, like square room oh. TVs. It's, oh, really? Yeah. They didn't oh, okay. shoot it in like wide format. So, huh. <laughs> yeah. So, which that's a little bit disconcerting, but it's then a very modern, like the design of the show and the multiple overlaying, you know, overlapping characters, the same way that Ozark has all the different intertwined storylines and, um, mm-hmm. that you'll, you'll, you'll definitely find that in the wire. Okay, cool. I'll give it a try. Should we move along here? Yeah. Thank you for convincing me not to go to law school. Oh, I love these. Hello, Ben, Nathan, and the Thinking LSAT team. I am a former Demon Premium subscriber, and I attended your October class in New York. Thank you for giving me... This is M. Thank you for giving me the perspective I needed to make the decision not to go to law school. I still listen to the podcast every week, mainly in hopes of getting book recommendations from Ben. And some of the content in episode 243 encouraged me to write in. Hey, I, I got scored. a book recommendation. Yeah, go. <laughs> Someone just asked about this on uh, our YouTube channel yesterday. Okay. Actually, I think they asked a month ago, but I don't like stay up on those notifications. Oh, that's too bad. We should start. We, we need to start looking at those notifications. Yeah, I apologize, but they they responded right away. So the book that they were asking about was the one that I've mentioned several times on this show about um, learning. Uh, and how people actually learn and why the demon is based on that uh, that model. But anyways, the book is Make It Stick, The Science of Successful Learning. Oh, yeah, I read that. And it's by, who is it by? It's by Peter Brown. So someone just asked about that yesterday. There's <clears throat> the actual title. I hope people find that helpful. And, sorry, I am excited about books and I've gotten back into them. I am reading... We'll actually read multiple books at the same time, yep. and then I just skip to around between them as I get start to get a little tired of one. I'm interested in another one. But uh, right now I'm reading The Circadian Code. It's all about how all the cells in our body have their own c- clock, and trying to get them in sync is, is the goal. There we go. Book Club with Ben. All right. I scored an official 167 on the September LSAT after about three months with the demon and have a 3.88 undergraduate GPA. I registered for the October and November LSATs in hopes of getting that sweet, sweet 170 plus. However, I withdrew from the October and November LSATs and decided not to pursue law school. Okay. Okay. I have empathy for people who feel like they have no marketable skills and that law school is a logical step to career advancement. As a graduate of music school, this was the boat I was in. I heeded your advice and spoke with every lawyer I knew about their job. I felt like I could do the work of a lawyer and was making the right decision. However, I realized that without any real experience working in the law, the only, quote, lawyerly experience I had was the LSAT. I really enjoyed preparing for the LSAT especially with the demon. It was fun. I was making improvements quickly and it felt like my career had legs again. However, after the September LSAT, I realized that I was making a mistake. In my mind, I had equated the enjoyment of preparing for the LSAT with the enjoyment of doing actual lawyer shit. I thought I had fallen in love with the field when in reality, I had fallen in love with the test and the demon. After some careful self-reflection, I concluded that being a lawyer sounds like an awful way to spend my life. 
The satisfaction of preparing for the test with the demon and the feeling of my career moving forward gave me a false impression of the legal field. I now hear my lawyer friends talk about their days and am grateful to have dodged that bullet. Wow. I was talking to uh, lawyer friends last night, Ben. I have uh, in my Dungeons and Dragons game, which we've been playing a lot more mm-hmm. now that uh, in, in COVID times, because it's a very, uh, it, you can play it online pretty easily. So we've been meeting on Zoom and playing Dungeons and Dragons, and three of the folks there are lawyers. And <laughs> the lawyer people work so much more than the non lawyer people. <laughs> it's ridiculous, including yeah. my buddy Joe who is, he's a freelance uh, lawyer. He's a contract lawyer. And he's been working from home 80 hours a week, like literally 80 hours a week. Wow. He's, he's been avoiding working more than 80 hours a week because they won't let him because California has some crazy rules. Like if you work seven days in a row, you have to get double time or whatever. And so, <laughs> he, so he's, you know, he's only working 80 hours a week. Well, it's a profession that's directly tied to your hourly, yeah. right? Like time. Yeah. Uh, sometimes people read like about attorneys who make a thousand dollars an hour, and they're like, "Oh my god, my life would be so amazing if I could make a thousand dollars an hour." Yeah, it's it's exciting stuff. I'm not saying it's not, but think about that for a second. You to make more money, you have to go put in more time and that's why attorneys work so much. Yeah. You're getting paid more, but you're also getting like dragged along. Like it's like a carrot that's like, (laughs) come get me. And you're going and working more. I, is it for the best? I I don't know. Yeah. And there's culture. The culture is just interesting. It's intense. It's a bunch of real smart people fighting over some high stakes shit, you know, real smart, real hardworking people just fighting. And it's, (laughs) it's not something that I would want to do. So uh, let me continue with this email. I researched other opportunities in fields that were interesting to me. I was always interested in aviation, but never had the resources to become a pilot. However, I have just started paid training to become an air traffic controller. Wow. This field is a lot more exciting to me than being a lawyer. And there's the potential to make big associate, a big law associate, not partner, big law associate money. And if air traffic doesn't work out, like 50% of law students who don't practice law, at least I get paid throughout the process. Had I not listened to your advice and really reflected on what it means to be a lawyer, I would have made a terrible mistake. Thank you for the work that you all do and the transparency in which you do it. Feel free to read this on the podcast if you need content. Just call me M if you do. And Ben, please give more book recommendations. Best wishes and stay healthy, M. Well, that's a new one. Air traffic control. Okay. I had no idea you could make big law associate money as an air traffic controller. That's a lot of money. I mean, first year associates are making one ninety now. You know, even though all the layoffs are law. about to yeah. commence. But um <laughs> that's uh cool. Yeah. Whatever. I mean, there's a big world out there and uh lawyering is, you know, one of infinite options that you have. So whenever anybody walks away from it, I'm like, I am with you. Yeah. Uh Oh boy, you want to read a little bit of this litigation against the city yeah. and county of San Francisco? That was the subject of the email. Litigation against the city and county of San Francisco. 
<laughs> so this is another email from Nathan's favorite dean, uh, David Fagman at UC Hastings. I'll just read this first paragraph. God damn, he writes so long. It says, um, there are multiple paragraphs, by the way, several, and they're all very long. This is the first one. I write, dear alumni community, I write to inform you that this morning, UC Hastings, joined by five tenderloin individuals and organizations, filed suit against the city and county of San Francisco in an effort to improve conditions in our neighborhood. Is that one sentence? Yeah. It was. The suit was filed in the United States District Court for the Northern District of California. The press release announcing this action is attached. Oh, boy. So, anyways, I liked your summary. What's your summary of this email? Well, he's... I'll skim a little bit of his email first, but the complaint identifies 14 separate causes of action arising out of the blighted conditions on our streets. Um, what else did he say? Wait, he specifically gets into some of it. So, by the way, this is the school that he's trying to recruit you to go to. The Tenderloin, always a community of tolerance and compassion, is now blighted, semicolon. Its sidewalks are unsanitary, unsafe, and often impassable. Open-air drug sales and other criminal activity plus crowds of drug users and sidewalk-blocking tents pervade and threaten the health and lives of all of the Tenderloin's residents. So that's his email about the neighborhood where he is the dean of the law school. Hmm. The same neighborhood where he just, like two emails ago, was talking about the ribbon-cutting on the 14-story building that they just built for I don't know what reason, in that exact spot, in that right there, where he's writing this from, that's where his, he's probably in his 14-story building right now writing that. Yeah. So, <laughs> I don't know. It's just, I understand people wanting to clean up the streets around, you know, the shit that they own. I get that. But the tenderloin being dirty is nothing new. It was disgusting when I went there. People were getting held up, like, with knives. knives like, someone brandishes a knife and takes your iPhone from you like on the sidewalk right outside hmm. Hastings or wow. a million cars getting their windows smashed and stuff stolen. Other people getting, you know, just mugged and harassed the um, smell of urine and the sight of feces on the sidewalks hmm. and in the streets. And it's just, it's, wow. it's disgusting. It's like, it's super rough. It's the worst, basically the, it's the dirtiest neighborhood in San Francisco. There might be more dangerous neighborhoods in San Francisco, but the tenderloin is just, it is disgusting. I'm just surprised by the means. It's interesting that they've decided to pursue this through litigation as opposed to, say, political means or something like that. I guess politics is too hard. Or no, <laughs> well, maybe no, filing a suit I, is a political step. I don't, I don't know. Can you really separate the two? Yeah. The, the point is, <laughs> he, just, he just spent a crazy amount of money from, you know, it's like he's charges students so much insane money to go to school in that neighborhood. And then he just built some giant building for what purpose? I really don't know. And it's, it, I don't know what I'm trying to say, Ben. It's just, there's a, there's some irony there of, you know, building a gigantic building and filing a suit because it's such a bad spot while simultaneously trying to entice young 
people to come spend $150,000 or $250,000 to go to law school there. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little double. <laughs> I don't know. How can you say both of those things at the same time? You know, oh, you should come to Hastings. It's a wonderful, you know, it's a great place to spend three years of your life. Just watch out for the blight, though. Well, it would be interesting to get an email from your school if you've chosen to go here. It says, in the near term, we are urgently seeking the following. The immediate deployment of latrines, washing stations, potable water. For unhoused people on the streets of the Tenderloin. Yes, he's, he's, yeah. he says he's filing lawsuit he's in always asking for things. court. <laughs> well, think of, this is crazy. Hey, Ben, if you got an offer right now, you know, you're considering starting school at Hastings this September. Yeah. The dean of the school just filed a suit in federal court to get the immediate deployment of latrines <laughs> in that neighborhood. Yeah. Like literally right outside Hastings. Hmm. <sighs> Not a good place to go to school, y'all. I, I just can't imagine. <laughs> Any, anyway. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, Z's personal statement. All righty. Hello, Ben and Nathan. Love the podcast. Thank you for all that you do. I enjoy the brutal honesty when you read out the personal statements on the show. Please read mine on the show if possible so that I can benefit from your wisdom. English is one of my second languages. I would appreciate it if you could redact my identifying information. I would also like to know if I could if I should explain my low LSAT scores on the personal statement. Nope. Don't do that on your personal statement. That's an addendum, if at all. I took my first practice test in 2018 while I was a senior, and I scored a 120 mm. exclamation point. I feel like it's harder to score a 120 than a 123. Yeah, you have to actively repel the right answers. I mean, if you just don't, if you don't bubble in the bubbles, you can score a 120. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I took my first official LSAT in June 2019, where I scored a 147. I tried again in February of 2020 and scored a 145. I'm retaking in June 2020. The median LSAT score for the school I wish to attend is a 154. Thanks again, Z. Any thoughts on that before we jump into this statement? Um... I don't know why you're taking the official test multiple times and scoring that low. I would, you know, like what are your practice test scores and why are you, I just don't think really people should be sitting for the LSAT if that's their, if that's going to be their score. Yeah. Like your practice test scores wouldn't have lied to you. I mean, I, I don't, she does you now, I suppose it's possible that she was scoring 160 on her practice tests and then, scored 147 and 145 on the official, but that's pretty rare. That's a pretty significant underperformance. Yeah. So it seems to me like you need to prep harder for the LSAT, get yourself more prepared before sitting for the official test. I don't, I, law schools only care about your highest score, but I really don't like that you've already taken it officially twice. I don't like it either. And they're low numbers. I would probably cancel your June test and uh, actually, yeah, it's already May cancel that and just start hitting some higher scores. Yeah, you I don't need, think you're gonna get there by June. No, I don't think so either. And you're, yeah, you're just—I don't know—you're getting your legal career off on the wrong foot here by not 
getting yourself fully prepared for this exam. Um, anyway, you ready for the statement? Okay. Yeah, here it is. When I was a teenager, I had to move to Uganda because Somalia was in the middle of a civil and religious war. The struggle between government and religious extremists who would stop at nothing to gain control of the country. Mm. Wait, what? Yeah, that's not a, it's a fragment. My family and I found refuge in Uganda, where we eventually received an opportunity to travel to the United States as refugees. Can we just make, I mean, that's the first paragraph. I, I see some good there. I see some bad there. Yeah. What do you like? The first sentence is, I would say, is above average for the ones that we've read yeah, on the show. It's about you. Mm-hmm. When I, I don't like it that it's about when you're a teenager, but it's a, it's a very, you know, I had to move to Uganda because Somalia was in the middle of a civil and religious war. Hey, that's a fact. It's a story about your life. You are the subject of the sentence. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, it's short. Like Ben didn't have to stop after he read it. He just like rent, went naturally into the second sentence. It's better than Fagman's first sentence. <laughs> yeah. So I like, so, so that's, I like that part of it, but then the next sentence is not a sentence. It's a fragment. And so then it's yeah. just like, well, whoa, you, you just gave me a complete sentence and now you're giving me an incomplete sentence. And that's just, that's not going to cut It's also it. a, yeah, it's about the extremists and we just don't care. The fact that you left in the middle of a civil and religious war is enough. Yep. We, it was bad. We get we it. Got it. We don't need to know. It's war. We got it. Civil war. We got it. We don't, yep. need to, we don't need any more about that. We need to know what you did and what you experienced. And then most importantly, like what you're doing now, like what is it that you're, what have you been doing? Yeah. So, all right. Um, can, anyway. Yep. Continuing. I traveled to the United States in March of 2013 with my then three-year-old daughter. Okay. It's about you. You have a child. I had a goal in mind. Mm. which was to create a better life for both of us. Yeah. Okay. I would just cut that. Yep. We get it. Your you're moving process. to the United States. You're escaping civil war. You're coming to the United States. You don't need to say you had a goal in mind. Yep. I pursued my GED online in less than six months to familiarize myself with the American education System, maybe? You left that word out. Went to community college in hopes of becoming a social worker. During this time is when things started to fall apart because I purchased a house from the city auction. It was the beginning of a nightmare and the start of an of a life-altering realization. Mm. Okay, I don't like this because it's about you failing. Yep. Um, I don't also like statements about life-altering realizations. Um, I just want to see you succeeding. Yeah, I'm... It's... we. I don't want to hear about... This is like a... This is an action you took, and now you're describing it to me as a nightmare. So I, I, I would predict that you're going to tell me that you were the victim of some sort of a something you'd misunderstood something you know circumstances or you were mistreated or something and it's just yeah. it's like 
I'm looking for people who are going to come to my law school and kick ass and win. And you're, you're just, you're, you're supposed to be selling yourself as a winner. Who's going to come be very successful as a result of going to my school. And instead you're telling me about some blunder or some injustice that you were the victim of. And I don't want a victim. Like I feel for you, you know, especially escaping civil war and all that, but I don't, I don't want, I'm not, I'm not looking for, I don't build the prestige of my school by having victims, you know, as the, the people who graduate and go become lawyers, they don't, they're not victims. They're, they're winners. They're killers, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. So I want to get to the accomplishments part. You gotta, you gotta emphasize your accomplishments, not the, not the trials and tribulations, but get to the victory part. She continues, when I purchased the house from the city auction, I was working full-time during the day and going to community college full-time in the evenings. All I wanted was to achieve the American dream. Man, cut that. There's too much about like what you wanted, what you want, and what you wanted. Yeah, we need lots more. Just give me the facts about what happened. I will say this. Um, although you have some fragments in here, most of your sentences are clear and... Easy to follow. Yeah, it so, goes back and forth from being like really well written to just to like ooh that but that sentence that sentence is not a sentence. Yeah, yeah. I signed a contract with the city that told me I could no not insure the house, secure the house, or even go to the house before they issued the deed to the house. <laughs> How many times does the word house appear there? The property was set on fire before I got the deed. I contacted the city to resolve the issue, but they issued the deed. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what's going on, but hmm, it's not good. I hired a building contractor licensed with the city to salvage the house in hopes of cutting my losses. We signed a contract and the work started. The contractor, on many occasions, was a no-show and hired unprofessional subcontractors. Okay, you made a bad decision to buy a house on auction, and now you've made a bad choice uh, of contractor. <laughs> a bad idea this to is... spend any more money on it, and a bad yeah. idea specifically who you hired to spend money on it. So what I'm seeing here is a bad decision and a bad decision and a bad decision. It's also like bad circumstances, but it's, it's a series of bad decisions. Why are you telling me about a series of bad decisions that you made? Yep. We've all made bad decisions, but we don't need to talk about them in our personal No, statement. it's not putting your best foot forward. It's it's so funny that people do the exact opposite, Ben, of what they should be doing. Yeah, it's weird. It's like they get nervous and they just want to open up and connect <laughs> and hope that it's people... It's on a first date and you just like immediately blurt out the worst thing about you. <laughs> You can't help yourself. You just immediately start talking about, you know. Yeah, your biggest weakness. Yeah. Okay. The project was later... The project? The project was later shut down by the city inspectors because it was not up to code. Another unfortunate event. The house had foundation problems, which he did not address, and it looked like it was going to collapse any minute. You're you're blaming (laughs) the contractor, but like... (laughs) It's ultimately, you know, the buck stops with you. And you took on this project, you hired the contractor. It's this is not reflecting well on you. No. <laughs> You're laughing. Yeah, it's just it's funny. It's like it's it's just a series of disasters and I don't 
<laughs> and, and you're supposed to be telling me why you're going to be like a kick-ass attorney. And instead it's like you're a comedy show of just, you know, errors. But all right. <laughs> this continues. I know. It's funny. I don't. Yeah. After the project was shut down by the city, the contractor picked up his tools and left. Unnecessary details. Yeah. He ignored all my attempts to contact him. I asked a friend to contact him to work out a resolution to which he responded, she can do whatever she wants. It's not my problem anymore. (laughs) Okay, we just don't need to know any of this. His statements enraged me because I had invested all that I had into this project. I went to this I went to City Hall to request that his building license get revoked because of his incompetence. Okay, now you look revengeful. Um look, he might be a jerk, he might be a loser, he might be a poor business person, but you don't want to show this side of you. We both hired attorneys and the licensing board held a hearing. The board ruled to suspend his building license until he had settled with me. I'm glad that you won. It just still doesn't look good. It's airing Um, dirty laundry. Yeah. I I guess this is one of these things where it's like the personal statement. This is a, um, this is an archetype Ben for, for bad personal statement format. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is I'm going to tell you about a legal battle that I was involved in personally. Mm. Cause look how much of a kick-ass lawyer I'm going to be. Yeah. I went yeah, through this. Now I know so much about the law. Do not write about, do not do that. That's a very common bad theme. <laughs> it makes you look like a problem. It makes you look naive. It does all the exact opposite of everything you think it's doing. So this is just, she's misguided on her theme here. I think she's a pretty decent writer actually. So I think she should be fine, but it's just, this ain't the story she wants to be telling. She continues, the contractor was ready to settle in a few months. How Ready to settle in a few months? Interesting, okay. However, my lawyer would not return calls to the opposing counsel or myself. (laughs) By the way, you want to use the word me there. I then researched my lawyer to my horror. (laughs) Oh, geez. Were we just like sliding down the the pit, into the pit even further? I I discovered that he had temporarily lost his license for using money in escrow for one of his clients to which he admitted because he was struggling financially. There, you know what? No one is reading past this point. Nope. uh, They probably didn't get to this point. But at this point, they read that and they go, yep, another one of these. It's just like somebody who has, you know, because of a series of legal scrapes and bad decisions and bad company and just like bad, bad shit. It literally says nightmare and horror in this personal statement. Yeah. (laughs) You. Oh, here we go. This is fucking amazing. The. You have made me think about you as a nightmare and a horror. That's what your personal statement has made me think of you. I, yep. I want to help you. I mean, and I don't actually think those things, but I, this sounds like a really shitty situation. And it sounds like you made a bunch of bad decisions as part of it. Like this latest thing. What do you mean? You researched your lawyer after they stopped returning your calls? <laughs> which this is a lawyer who you hired because of a contractor who also ghosted you. Yeah. So it's just like bad decision upon bad decision upon bad decision and making me, making you look like you're, you're failing and you're just flailing around and you're not successful. And 
so it, it is like literally perfectly the opposite of what you want to be doing. Anyway, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Ben. No, yeah, she continues, and this is just more examples of what you should not do. I tried to find someone in the Somal from the Somali community that is a who who is a practicing attorney to get guidance on how to proceed. However, I could not find a single Somali attorney in the Buffalo area. Okay, that was the day I decided I wanted to go to law <laughs> oh, school. Oh God! Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> Law schools perpetuate that, you know, law schools, they, they've, they've, they give that advice sometimes like, well, you could maybe, you know, you can write about almost anything. We'd love to yeah. hear about the moment when you decided to go to law school. It's, but it just always makes you look like a sucker basically. I mean, maybe that's why yeah. they want you to do it because they want you to look like a sucker. You know, they want to be like, Oh, okay, here we go. <laughs> we got one of these that we can overcharge. Yeah. Mm. This is interesting. She says, I hired another attorney who negotiated a settlement, helped me sell the property, and close on another property. Well, okay, there's some victories for you. From this bad experience, I learned a lot. Don't ever say that. I learned the importance of hiring an ethical lawyer. Hmm? Researching previous work of for people I wanted to hire. Huh? <laughs> and most importantly, wholly understanding binding contracts before signing. Oh, boy. See, these are all things that are good to learn, but they're not things you want to advertise that you learned, right? Like they actually have the opposite effect. They make it sound like, oh, you figured that out? Great. That's par for the course. So there was an extreme, this is a little nitpicky, but it's an extreme naive um, thing there that, that anyone with any legal experience would flag is this, mm. um, Sorry, the, yeah, most importantly, wholly yeah. understanding binding contracts before signing them. Let, let me tell you something. It, it is not contracts possible are... for you to do that. <laughs> it is, it's, it's literally not possible because you don't understand the law around the contract. Yeah. Therefore, you don't understand what the contract, if you think that the document lives on its own, you're wrong. There's a whole surrounding body of multiple overlapping infinite bodies of law surrounding that contract. And so it's just, it makes you look like you think you know what you're talking about when you just clearly don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. So just don't, it's don't, you're, it's this, uh, and it goes along with the theme of pretending to be a lawyer now like oh i've seen what this is all about and i know that you know i yeah there's no somali lawyers in the buffalo area so that's when i decided that i that had to be my role and you know because i had done this i went through this one awful litigation situation yeah anyway she writes, I continued with my education and graduated with my bachelor's degree in social work with a 3.81 GPA. Um, we know this from your resume. It's a lot better of a topic than everything you've talked about so far, but it's still not a topic for your personal statement. I work as a case manager for people with chronic illnesses, mental health issues that face many other social economic problems, socioeconomic problems. I manage a caseload of about 40 to 50 clients. I maintain monthly contacts with my clients, work on assessments to create care plans. These are a couple incomplete sentences in there. Just yeah. use as a comma, mm -hmm. you know, using a comma instead of an and. Yeah. 
I make sure that they have transportation to attend medical appointments, that they receive their medication, and that they are referred to medical specialists if needed. I ensure that they apply for benefits like food stamps and rental assistance if required. I advocate for my clients daily. Um, okay. I wouldn't write it this way, but it looks like we're finally getting into stuff where you're doing work. And I like this way better than everything you've said up to this point. Yep. I agree. But I want to hear like sort of specifics. Maybe you can pick out one or two clients to talk about, uh, just, yes, how, how, but not talk about them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> talk about you yeah. doing stuff yeah. for them. Yes. hundred percent. It's still hard to see exactly what you're doing, even though you are saying a lot of I sentences, um, which is good, but it, you're still kind of skimming over the surface to help the Somali community in Buffalo. I and a few others from the Somali community started a not-for-profit organization. Okay, there's more stuff. Good. The United Somali Alliance of Buffalo, USAB, was born to assist the Somali refugees and immigrants in many ways. Vague. Vague and a little poetic. Born. USAB helps individuals who cannot read, understand, and respond to their mail. Okay. Many of these families need to complete recertification paperwork for benefits, documentation from schools for their children, and medical paperwork. We also created ESL classes and immigration classes, which I teach every Saturday. I teach my students about the civics test, which is a requirement for citizenship. I teach them how to read and write. I ensure that they understand their application for citizenship. I am proud to say that as a relatively new agency, we have provided the Somali community a central point of contact where they can seek assistance. Okay, these last two paragraphs have provided a lot more um, winning. Uh, They could be better, but I like the information here. Got to cut more. the first like two thirds of the statement entirely. Or, you know, you can talk about you, the first sentence of I moved from Somalia, you know, I got out of the civil yes. war. Like mm-hmm. we can, sure. That's an important yep. bit of your background that we need to know about, but let's, let's that whole house situation has to go. There's the, you can't keep any of that expand on the work you're doing as a case manager, expand on the work that you're doing at your nonprofit talk about the victories, you know, show yourself like achieving things. This, there's a lot to work with, but it's jammed into there's two a lot paragraphs to work because there's this whole nightmare scenario up top. Well, what's crazy about this is that you could take these last two paragraphs that we just read and make them a lot better. But even if you didn't, if you just deleted everything that came before, except for your sentence saying where you came from, and then submitted these two paragraphs with that sentence, your chances of admission would skyrocket compared to what you have right now. And you wouldn't have to do any more work. Just delete, just get rid of (laughs) the bad They're not going to get to any of this stuff here at the bottom because they've already given up on you when with all of the, the, the too many bad decisions, bad interactions, bad stories, victim you know, type of stuff. Just, you're not looking like a, a lawyer and, yeah. you know, so <laughs> they're not going to get to all this stuff, which this, this does, you know, yeah, you're, 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 you're making things you're writing, you're teaching, you're giving people advice. 
Um, you started a nonprofit. Yeah, you're you're doing a lot. You know, even things like I maintain monthly contacts with my clients. Like, just at least now, I'm picturing you as a professional person doing things to take care of the, you know, your business. Yeah. Whether that's government business or nonprofit business or whatever, it's business. You know, you're just like taking care of shit. And yeah. I do like seeing you taking care of things. That's so much better than all of these hiring the wrong people and being taken advantage of. That's not what we want to, we don't want that part. <laughs> yeah. I applied and got accepted to the advanced standing master's program for social work at UB. It's on your transcripts and resume. Don't need a sentence for that. Yep. I hope, oh, I hope. I hope is a pretty sure recipe for disaster in most personal statements. But anyways, I hope to pursue a dual degree in law and social work to be an asset, especially for the Somali community in Buffalo who do not have a practicing attorney that can communicate in their language and can relate to them on a personal level. Um, When you're referring to people, by the way, you need to use who, not that. That's your longest sentence and also your worst. You you were doing a lot of better writing up top with the short sentences. That one is just it's long, it's hard to read, and it because it's so long, it's very subject to making lots of mistakes. So this I was very pleased with the short sentences at the top, but this that that one is a stinker. I would like to fight for social justice for the underrepresented and underserved communities. Um thirty percent of law school applicants or something like that say this in their personal statement, 2% actually do. So although your, your story is a little bit more believable given the work you've already done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know that you need to say it though. No, it's <laughs> obvious from what you're doing. Yeah. You don't need to say that conclusion because you're, you're doing it. Just tell, talk more about what you do. I have a feeling that she's got the, the bone. She could write a killer personal statement. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I, I think you got you you could knock it out of the park with some of the stuff that you're but just all you have to do is just spend the entire time focusing on what you're actually doing right now. That's it. Yep. If accepted into the redacted, I hope to bring both my life and professional experiences by bringing diversity to the school. Totally broken. Too long yeah. bad sentence. And I wish to practice law in the Buffalo area. Thank you for your consideration. I would, um, if if you're ever referencing a specific school, it just seems strange. So I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. I mean, I guess she must be applying to a school in Buffalo. I think it's she's applying to some regional school. Yeah. But I still, <laughs> this is not necessary. <laughs> it's obvious if accepted. That's what yeah. you plan to do. They're here to learn about you. So all you have to do is just say what you're doing now at your job and in your nonprofit. And just expand on all that stuff. Um, and, and most importantly, well, expand on all that stuff. Cut the first literally half, more than half of this. All of the stuff about that house. I don't want to hear a single thing about it. I don't want to hear about any of your personal legal battles. Most importantly, though, I get a better LSAT score. Yeah. That's what you should be doing first. Right. Before even, I don't know that this needed to be drafted necessarily because your LSAT right now is not 
an LSAT that really justifies going to law school. It's not an LSAT that um, predicts success in the legal world. So their median is a 154. I, I think you should be going on a scholarship. So I think you need a 158 or 160. I don't know what yeah. exactly the school is, but I think you, you want to get above that median. You want them to give you a scholarship. If they do, then it's a clear indication that you know they think you're going to be successful in law. And if not, then... Yeah, and you'll go for free. Gosh. Exactly. I mean- Exactly. So take your time with it. Do not rush into anything. We really appreciate you listening and reaching out for help. And, um, you know, you, you could totally make this a success story. Like literally the personal statement itself needs to be turned into a success story and you can be a success story. But the the first step for that is definitely just got to work on that LSAT. And, you know, really, I, if, if you don't end up with a 155 or higher, I, I don't think that probably it's the right path. I agree. Thank you. Uh, wrap it up there. Yeah. Cool. You can join uh, the Thinking LSAT podcast group on Facebook. I don't think Ben or I really check that very much, but Annalisa is still uh, administering that. So you can join us on Facebook if you would like. Um, we are at Thinking LSAT on Instagram and Twitter, uh, social media everywhere. I'm at Fox on Twitter if you want to talk to me. Um, that's a good place to find me. LSATdemon.com is our website. Um, really just best place to be studying for the LSAT. We do live events every single day of the week on Zoom now. ThinkingLSAT.com if you want to subscribe to the show newsletter, see former episodes, all the podcast stuff. Um, leave us a review somewhere if you are so inclined. We rely on your support. That was episode 245 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school.